0: you're probably expecting a Father's Day message, and I didn't want to disappoint, so that is what you'll get is a Father's Day message. Well, actually, I hope it was what God wanted. I was trying to get that figured out there, so I think we got it right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your heart as a father, and there's no one better to teach us about what it means to be a father than you. And you said that you left the Holy Spirit here, you, you, you sent him here to teach us, to teach us truth, Lord, to teach us all things about you, about your character, about your ways, and, and Lord, that includes being a father. And Lord, as I think about this topic, I don't know that there are many topics that we could discuss at any time that are much more important and much more relevant than fatherhood. So I'm asking you, Lord, to speak to us today, to take the, the things that I've typed out and breathe life into them. And, and Lord, if there's anything that you want to change along the way, that you would have the freedom to change it, that this would be your time, Lord, and that we would meet with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 127.3 says, that children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Now, before I go on, let me make sure. Can everybody hear me okay? Am I coming across in the back? Dale, how are you doing? May, how are we doing here? Are we okay? All right, good. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Now, I'm going to try real hard not to get very preachy I don't really enjoy preaching, but I love talking about what God is doing in my life and hopefully through my life, and I love talking about the lessons that I've learned. And being a father is probably one of the longer lessons that I've had over the time that, uh, that I've been married. Heidi and I celebrated 25 years in March, and we've been parents for 21 of those years. And I want you to know that I love being a dad I do I I I absolutely love being a dad don't we all those of you who are parents don't we all start that way do you remember the dream the plan you know as I look back on the most meaningful moments of my life it's easy that most of them involve my wife and my children and my most cherished memories are all about family now, there were things that I did back before I was married. There were uh, things that I accomplished, um, stuff that I was involved with. And, you know, all of those things were great. And, and there, were some, there were some wonderful milestones and great experiences that I had. But to be honest with you, when I just sit down and really think about it, the best memories in my life, besides knowing God, have been because of my wife and my kids. And for most of us, our dream, isn't it to... Get married, have children, make a life together? I think that's usually the plan, isn't it? When I look back on the things that, that mean the most to me, I think, of, I think of the milestones with my kids. I remember when we found out that we were going to have Lindsay, who's our oldest. I remember, I don't know how many times Heidi and I would just sit and talk about what she was going to be like. And we'd always start with five. I don't know why we started with the age of five, but we always just thought, you know, what is she gonna be like when she's five years old? What's she gonna look like? What, how, what, what, what kind of things is she gonna like to do? What, you know, what, what's her personality gonna be like? And when she was born, oh my goodness, of course, I remember the first time I got to hold her. I remember so distinctly that she didn't cry. That's probably the thing that stood out to Heidi and I the most is she didn't make a sound when she was born. She just laid there, and when the nurse put her in my arms, she was absolutely wide awake, and she just looked at me. She just stared at me, and we always talk about how her mouth was kind of shaped like a Cheerio, like... And she just stared at me, and I stared back. That was 21 years ago, and I will never forget that time. I remember when Jesse was born, because we rushed to the hospital because Heidi thought that she was, didn't know if she could hold on any longer, and we figured it was good that she had blue jeans on, because she probably would have had him in the car. And we got to the hospital. I parked in front of the hospital. We rushed in, and literally, as soon as she hit the table, he was out. And I don't know how much time went by. I think it was probably about an hour, and you're you're going through all the, the, you're, you're, all the mass hysteria of you just had a baby and you're holding him and they're cleaning him off and all that kind of stuff. And when I finally went out to the car, probably about, I think it was probably about an hour later, the car was still running <laughs> in front of the hospital. We'd, we'd forgotten all about it, you know? So, you know, Montevideo was a pretty safe place way back then, so I guess that wasn't, uh, I guess that wasn't such a bad deal. I remember, I remember when we found out that Emily was coming, and we, were, we certainly weren't expecting her, but I remember the day that we confirmed it, and we went to a doctor, and we had the ultrasound done, and we took Lindsay and Jesse to McDonald's, and we sat them in a booth, and while they were eating, we pulled out a little ultrasound picture, and we just put it on the table, and Jesse didn't quite get it. He didn't really know what an ultrasound picture was. But Lindsay just started crying. My best memories, they all have to do with my family, with my wife and my children. And that's the dream, isn't it? That's what we all look forward to before we ever have kids we dream about that time when we'll start our own family. You know, maybe some of it's because once we have kids, that's when we kind of know that we're grown up. You know, we kind of know that things have changed and that we're we're not going back to mom and dad. Well, actually, that's not necessarily true. (laughs) I've done that a couple times too. But uh, at least in theory, we're grown up. And if you were to ask the average parent, what's, most important to them. I can't imagine that most wouldn't say, it's my kids. As a parent, yeah, you bet. It's my kids. Yet oddly enough, as we start to live out that dream called family, there's an inevitable reality called real life that begins to draw our focus away from what we actually say is most important. How are we doing, Devin? We got that clip? (laughs) (laughs) Um, 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 um. Um. Um, uh. You're making weird faces. You make weird faces, honey. Do you have to read at the table? Uh-huh. Yeah. Smaller bites, Dash. Yikes. Bob, could you help the carnivore cut his meat? <sighs> oh. Dash, you have something you want to tell your father about school? Uh um well, I mean I a frog. Dash got sent to the office again. Good. Good. No, Bob, that's bad. What? Dash got sent to the office again. What? What for? Nothing. He put a tack on the teacher's chair during class. Nobody saw me. You could barely see it on the tape. It caught you on tape and you still got away with it? Whoa. You must have been booking. How fast do you think you were Bob, going? we are not encouraging this. I'm not encouraging. I'm just asking how fast Honey. you... Were... Honey! Oh. Honey! Right. First a car, now I gotta pay to fix a table. the table. car? Damn. What happened to the car? Here, I'm getting a new plate. <clears throat> <clears throat> so, how about you, Vi? How was school? <clears throat> Nothing to report. <clears throat> You've hardly touched your food. I'm not hungry for meatloaf. Well, it is leftover night. We have steak, pasta. What are you hungry for? Tony Ridinger. Shut up. Well, you are. I said shut up, you little insect. Well, she is. Do not shout at the table. Honey? Kids! Listen to your mother. She'd eat if we were having Tony Loaf. That's it! Hey, hey, go 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 Stop it, Violet! Stop! You are gonna be tough! Stop coming go go in the, the house! Ow. No, 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 no. You Sit down! Ow! No no force fields! Hey, Flashfield! you hey, started it! You sit down! You sit down! Move. You, you sit down. pay you me! Pay Violet! Ow! Ow! Simon J. Palladino, a longtime advocate of superhero rights, is missing Gazer Beam. Bob! It's time to engage! Do something! Don't just stand there! I need you to intervene! You want me to intervene? Okay, I'm intervening! I'm intervening! Sister Violet, let go of your brother! Hello? Get the door! Just for the record, I do not allow my children to use force fields in the house. <laughs> I hope you don't either. You know, most families don't start like that. 25 years, I have no idea where that time went. If you're a newly married or a new parent, got a word of advice for you don't blink because just like that you will be where i am and there are many here that have gone way farther than i have but i'll tell you when i think of 25 years of marriage and 21 years of having children i cannot even believe how fast the time has gone and i'm sure that you can talk to any parent here who's been around the block a few times and they would tell you the same thing We don't start out the way that we saw Bob and Helen and their family. I've got a theory. You may agree with it or not. That's okay. You can be wrong. I don't think real life begins until you have kids. Until you have children, you're just on a honeymoon. That's it. But once you have kids... Something happens. Now, I told you I love being a dad, but I would be lying to you if I told you that I had any idea of what I was getting into because I had none. And to tell you the truth, I think I probably could have read all the books and material there were, and I still don't know that I would have understood what being a parent is all about. You parents remember life, B.B., That's before baby. You remember what that was like? You remember all the free time you had? Remember all the things that you used to do? The traveling, the eating out? If there's one thing that Heidi and I have always enjoyed doing together, we used to love to eat out. I think probably the first several years of our marriage, I think maybe McDonald's was probably the place that we went to most because they have french fries and I love their french fries. And Heidi and I used to do community french fries where because we were in love, we'd put our french fries together We'd combine them. We called that community fries. Of course, you know who got most of the fries, right? I just happened to be a fast eater. But it didn't matter because my bride loved me so much. She didn't care. She wasn't hungry for french fries. She was hungry for berry loaf. (laughs) Before baby, we lived life. Before baby... We had things that we had to do. We had jobs, and we did this, and we did that. But life seemed manageable. Then there was this little stick with a blue dot, and we had no idea what that blue dot meant. It meant hostile takeover. We didn't know that. We didn't know that once that, that little blue dot showed and once Lindsay showed up, that life as we knew it was going to change forever. Now, before I get myself in trouble, let me just say, it's all good. Life changed for the better. But it was different. See, this is what we wanted. Uh, so we didn't go into this with our eyes closed. But I'll tell you what, we definitely didn't go into this understanding what being a parent was all about. You were having a life, and then baby comes, and you live real life. And everything that you were required to do before the baby, you still get to do. You just do it with the baby. You get to go to work at 5 a.m. after being up with the baby from 3 a.m., You get to eat meals, the baby's there. You watch TV, and the baby's there. You go to the store, and the baby's there. The baby is always there, all the time. And it's a good thing, but it changes things. You go from a life that is free and easy and manageable to one that takes a lot more thought and a lot more planning than you and I could have ever imagined. And I'll tell you what, those babies, they're smart. You think being smarter than a fifth grader is something. Try being smarter than a three-month-old, because you know what? They know how to get attention. They know every free moment that you might have and how to take up some of that time. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just different, and it's an adjustment that we have to make. That's why I don't have pets, because I don't want to take care of a pet all the time. But a baby, that's a different thing. Now, one of the things that Heidi and I did, we, went to, we, we waited four years before we tried having children, because we wanted to have our time together. And so, Lindsay actually came along several years after we first got married, and that was really a, that was really a good thing. But I'll tell you what. When you, I mean, we knew we knew that once we had a baby that we were going to have that this was going to be a lifelong thing, so we were glad to have waited as long as we did. But I'll tell you what, folks, if you think that having a baby just adds a little bit to your schedule, adds a little bit to your life, you've miscalculated. You need to redo math class. There is some type of exponential mathematical equation for how busy your life becomes once you have children. I'm not smart enough to know that. I don't know that anybody is outside of God himself, but it's astronomical, because once you have kids, it just seems that life just takes off. Now I just turned 48, and I actually thought that when I was in my 20s, I was sure that once I got into my 30s and 40s, that life would slow down, but it doesn't. It just gets busier. So you have a dream, and that dream is a family. But I think that there is an almost, my goodness, an almost fatal misconception that we have about having children, about raising a family that occurs probably before we ever even conceive our child. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you turn it to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read verses 26 through 28. What's that mistake? Starting verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. The verse that caught my attention was this. Verse 28. When God blessed him and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Now, I was a Christian when I got married. I thought I was a pretty mature one at the time. I was wrong. But as I prepared myself or thought I was preparing myself to be a parent, I miscalculated one thing and that was this. I mistook parenthood for a vocation instead of a calling. I had no idea how important it was to God that I have a family. And I really didn't have any idea of what it meant to raise a godly family. I thought it just kind of happened. I thought it happened just because I knew that I was going to love my kids. And I knew in very general terms what I wanted my kids to be like. I wanted, them to be, I wanted them to be well-behaved. Of course, I wanted them to love God. I wanted them to get good grades. I wanted them to be, have good self-esteem. I wanted them to be happy. I wanted them to get good jobs. I wanted them to grow up. And I certainly wanted them to have children of their own so I could spoil them. Now, that's just the short list. But, you know, I think that's what most of us think. George Barna did a study a few years ago about parenthood. And the results were kind of interesting. One of the things that he found out, and this is about Christian parents, was that most parents do not have a plan for raising their children. Most parents do not have a plan for raising their children. Now, I can relate to that. Because I personally, I don't know that I had a plan. I knew that I was going to love them, and I really thought that the love that I had for my children would kind of guide me along and would allow me to raise healthy, happy children. Well, I guess in that respect, I probably fall into the same category as most other parents. Deuteronomy 4, verses 6 through 8, says this, talking about God's laws. Now, Deuteronomy was really the book that was written in preparation for the children of Israel to enter the promised land. God had made, uh, if you look in Deuteronomy 6, it is filled with promises from God that if they would keep his commands, the things that he would do for them. This verse tells us why he wanted them to keep those commands. It says, so keep and do them, For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has the statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? This might sound like a dumb question. And maybe for some of you, it seems pretty basic. But believe it or not, most, even Christian parents, don't ask this question. What is God's purpose for your family? When he designed this concept of family, what did he have in mind? Was it just so that you and I could raise kids and get a job and look for success and maybe move a couple of times and get a go from a, a small car to a minivan to a more expensive minivan to a small house to a big house or was there something more what is god's intention for family and will your understanding will my Understanding of God's intention, of his purpose for family, will that affect the way that I parent? Now, I told you I didn't want to get real preachy here. So I want to tell you something that I have been struck with over the years. And that is, for much of my children's life, I don't know that I really had any clue Certainly not a plan about what God wanted for my family. The way George Barna puts it, he says this: that in his study, he found out that most parents look to outcome-based results. That means they just look at how their children are turning out. They uh, they, they, they try to teach them. They try to teach them to be good. They try to teach them how to deal with stress. They try to teach them, uh, they they try to protect them from from bullies and from predators and things like that. Uh, they, they, they They look at things like their grades. They look at their success in sports or in the arts. Those are the things that they use to kind of evaluate whether or not they're being successful as parents. But they really don't have a plan Beyond that. And so they look at these factors, and, and here's what he says. And they hope for the best. They hope for the best. Now, that probably would have made sense to me 21 years ago. Well, it probably, made, <laughs> it probably made sense to me uh, just several years ago. But it doesn't now. Because now... I have a better understanding of how important it is for me to raise my kids with a vision in mind. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen, we hear it all the time, and it's applied to all kinds of things, and I think it has a lot of great application. Without a vision, the people perish. Now the translation that I like a little bit better is, without divine revelation, the people are unrestrained. Now, I know a lot about being unrestrained because my personality type, the way I was kind of brought up, uh, there was a lot of, or I guess maybe you should say there wasn't a lot of restraint. See, I grew up not necessarily having a lot of vision, a lot of goal. I wasn't a goal setter at all, which is kind of unusual for a first child. I think I was a little strange in that way. But I never really cared about goals. I, I never really cared about expectations. I just kind of liked living life. And so when I had children... I kind of approached that the same way because most of the way I had done things, it kind of worked. It was okay, you know. We, I, I, I loved my kids. I, I knew I was going to try to raise them the right way. I was going to try to make them, uh, help them to have good decisions. I, I certainly wanted them to love God. But I really didn't have a plan on how that was actually going to happen. And as I look back farther, I think I understand the reason why now. I think it's because I didn't understand God's vision for my family. I didn't really understand his plan and how huge and how important his plans for my children and my family were. Does your idea of God's purpose for family have an effect in the way that you parent? Are you one of those that just kind of hopes for the best? Another thing that George found out was that most parents underestimate the influence they have over their kids. Do your children scare you? Have you ever been afraid of your children? Now, as I say that, I'm hoping not physically. But there are other ways that we can be afraid of our children, aren't there? And I'll tell you what, parents, I might be a youth pastor, but there have been times when I've been afraid of my kids. You know why? Because I love them, and I want them to love me. I want them to like me. I want us to have a good time together. But you know what happens when we make that the priority? We don't train them. We don't discipline them. We don't engage in their life the way that we need to. And we get to a point where maybe being their friend and getting along is more important than raising them up to love God and to make their decisions based on their relationship with God. There have been plenty of times that I can look back and think, you know, I probably should have done something more than what I did. I probably should have said something and I didn't but I'm learning. I'm 48, I have one child out of the house, one that's almost ready to leave, and I've got a six-year-old, and I'm getting better. But folks, our children are in need of parents who will engage their kids, parents who will step into their children's lives and have an influence. George Barna was very clear that most of us as parents We have no idea the impact that we have in our children's lives, especially in the context of a strong relationship with our kids. Josh McDowell, over the last several years, has been kind of touring through America, and he's been talking about his story. And he's got a great story because he grew up in a home that was not Christian uh, in any way, shape, or form. He grew up with an abusive father, and he grew up without a picture of who God was, especially as a father. He grew up an atheist, and it wasn't until he went to college that he, as he looked into the scripture, trying to refute Christianity, that he found out how true it was. But one of the things that he talks about in his messages to parents, which I've really appreciated over the years from my own life, is how important it is that as parents that we establish a strong relationship with our kids. Right out there, we have that little poster out there right by, the, uh, by, right by the door there that talks. It says that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I'll tell you what, folks. As a parent, you and I have got to grab a hold of that, of that truth because if we want our children to listen to us, if we want our children to not just believe what we say but want to investigate it and, and, and grab a hold of it for their own lives... We have got to have a relationship with them that allows us to do that. Another thing that George Barner found out was that many parents have shifted from taking direct responsibility for raising strong, healthy children to relying on others as primary caregivers. You know, as as a youth pastor, I get I get pretty acquainted with a lot of your kids, particularly ones that are in seventh through twelfth grade. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not always quite certain what type of a role either I should play, or you want me to play as a youth pastor. There are times when I look, at a, I look at a student and I think, boy, I wonder if I should say something. I wonder if I should do something. Or I wonder, or no, maybe, maybe their parents are already on top of it. Or maybe, maybe they're not. Or maybe, maybe they want to say something, but they don't. And just, I'll be honest with you sometimes it's kind of confusing. And I'm not quite sure what to do. But I know this we live in a culture not just in this town, but in this country, we live in a culture where there are a lot of young people who have parents that don't know how to parent, or for one reason or another, refuse to parent, or aren't capable of parenting. And I see it all the time. I see young people that come through our doors over at the house on a Wednesday night, and I'll tell you what, for the most part, they're good kids, they really are, they're good kids but a lot of them are lost because their parents don't know how to parent. And there may be a lot of reasons for that, and that's probably a whole other message. But we live in a generation in this country that is largely parentless, fatherless. And I'll tell you what, just because you have a mom and dad at home, it doesn't mean that you're getting parented. It doesn't mean that there are people that are really looking out after your interests. There's certainly There are certainly many, even in Christian, uh, that, that go to this church or any other church in town, who, in spite of the fact that they love their kids, don't always know how to bring them up in a godly way. And so oftentimes, as parents, we kind of hope, we kind of hope that maybe someone else will do that job for us. There might be some of you that look at me as a youth pastor or look at some of our adult leaders and say, you know what, I wish you would disciple my kid. It would be easier. And you know what, for those of us who have kids who have looked at us and basically rolled their eyes at us and told us we don't really know what we're talking about, we know what that's like, don't we? It would sure be a lot easier if someone else would come and love on our kids. And it's not that there's not a place for that. I want you to understand that there's, there, there, there is a place. It, it really does take a village. It takes a family for us to raise godly children. But folks, Ephesians 6, 4, God told parents that it is their responsibility. He says, don't embitter your children. He's talking to fathers there. He says, don't embitter your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There's another verse, a really good one here. Deuteronomy, if you want to turn there, you can. I'm just going to go ahead and read it, though. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. Listen to this. Listen to this calling on parents. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That verse tells us two things, folks. Number one, it tells us that God has given parents the calling, the blessing, and the responsibility of raising children. It is not the job of a youth pastor or a pastor or some parachurch ministry. Or, someone, or or an aunt, or an uncle, or a grandpa. He gives parents the responsibility of raising their children. It is a calling. The other thing that verse tells me is this, that it's a 24-7 job. It is supposed to come, it, 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 it doesn't come at, at a certain point of the day. It's all day, folks. It's all day. Raising children is a 24-7 proposition. And it's something that really, it needs to be something that we are thinking about constantly. Now, as we close today, um, I'm actually going to ask uh, Alex, can you hear me back there? Would you go up and get the kids? Tell them to come on down. As we close today, I want you to, I want you to know my heart as a parent. Because I remember the dream, and I remember the plan, what little plan I had. But I also know what it's like to raise kids in real life. Because life is one thing, but having a baby is real life. We get busy, really busy. We change lots of diapers, we clean up runaway poop and herp, we go to work, we get promoted, we move, we buy a dog, the toilet overflows, we call the plumber, we have more kids, so we get a minivan. We become soccer parents, we buy a house, we stress over mortgage payments, we find a new job, we get home late, we talk less, but we argue more. Mom needs to go to work, we put the kids in daycare, we both come home tired, we try to go to bed early, but one of the kids is sick, and on and on and on. And pretty soon, over time, the dream of raising a family that reflects God's glory gets lost in a fog of paying bills and overbooked schedules. And that's if we had a vision to begin with. And if I'm not careful, then I forget the very purpose that God has blessed me with the family. And I forget the effort that's required to make that happen. You know, I wonder if that's why six out of ten kids that come out of evangelical homes leave home and become disconnected from the church. By disconnected, or I guess maybe we could use the word disengaged, I mean, they no longer read their Bible, they no longer pray regularly, and they no longer attend church. Six out of ten kids. That sobers me. Now, I look at my daughter Lindsay and I think, you know, she's 21 and she's spent a couple of years in YWAM and she certainly seems to be on the right track, but I'll tell you what I don't rest. My heart doesn't rest. Even with her. And maybe that's because, as a parent, she needs to always be in my heart. (sighs) Folks, I've never been more aware of the need for me, as a parent, to engage my children. And sometimes I get scared off from that because I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want to be too pushy. I don't want, to, I don't want them doing uh, this to me. I want them to listen because I've got so much to say. A matter of fact, I'm sure if my wife were here, she would tell you that there are many, many things that she has to say, not just to my kids, to me too, that she never says because it's so easy for us to be afraid that we're not going to be heard. But I am beginning to understand this. Raising kids who will love God all their life does not happen by accident. It doesn't even happen because we love our kids. It happens because, as it says here, because we learn to repeat them again and again to our children. Because we talk about them when we're at home and when we're on the road. Because we talk about his love for them when they're going to bed and when they get up. It's because we take his law and we tie them to our hands. We wear them on our forehead as reminders. And we write them on the doorposts of our house and on our gates. If I would have had any idea what real parenting was like, I still would have done it. But I think I would have been much better prepared. I think I would have cried out a lot more to God, and I would have been far more desperate than I was. Folks, I want you to know that this isn't just a chronological thing, this whole parenthood thing. It's a generational thing. There are those of you now who may not have kids at home. But I'll tell you what, if you're living on this earth right now, God has a purpose for you. And I'll bet, I'll bet that there are people either in this body or in this community that God may want you to be a parent to, a father or a mother. You know, Paul was very fond of calling Timothy... His son, he had that kind of an affection for it. Folks, this is not about a blood thing. It's not about an age thing. As we mature, God calls us to be parents to those that are younger in the faith, and we need that. Now, I call the kids in because as we finish, and it's Father's Day, I want us to be reminded of the call that God has put on our life. I don't care what your job is. I don't care how important it is, how much money you make, how much responsibility you have. If you are a parent, a mom or a dad of children, that is your highest calling, is to raise children. And if you don't have any children of your own, or you don't have any living with you, Tell you what, ask God, and I'll bet he'll bring some children into your life. People that you can pour into the way that God has poured into you. Would you stand with me? I want you to look at your children. And kids, if you're not with your parents, I want you to go with them right now. As we close, I want us to pray together, guys. There is absolutely no greater adventure than family. I guess I'm going to have to ask my family to come on up here. If you want to be real sappy, you could hold hands or do something like that. You're not required to, but you know, when I think about engaging with my not just my kids, but my wife as well. I kind of thought about this with my dad. You know, there are a lot of things that I would like to say to my dad that I don't because it seems kind of corny. Don't miss those opportunities. I left a message for my dad even though he was gone golfing. And I told him something that I don't know that I've, maybe maybe I've told him at one point, but I, I don't think I'd said it in a long time. I said, Dad, I'm proud to be your son. I wanted him to know that. Sometimes I say the same things every year. Happy Father's Day. You're a great dad. I love you. And You know, it's all true, but you know what? Sometimes something deeper needs to be said. And if we are going to engage in relationship with each other, we've got to be willing to go beyond what's comfortable or what other people consider normal. So we're going to hold hands because... That's what we like to do. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And I want to say, I'm really glad to be your child. Really glad. I, I don't know how people do it otherwise. I don't know how people live their entire life without you. I know you love me. And you've always been faithful. I've always been able to count on you. I've always been able to trust you. I want to be a better son. I want to know you better. I want to understand your love for me better. And as I do that, I want it to change me. I want it to affect the way that I act as a husband and as a father as a leader of my family Lord I, Jesus said I only do what I see my father doing Lord I want to learn to be the type of father that you are Lord I want to pray for my fellow fathers and mothers parents those that you have given a high calling to And that is to raise children that would love God. That would mirror and reflect his glory. That would impact this world for your son Jesus. Lord, after 21 years of being a parent now, it's pretty clear to me what I want for my kids. I want them to know you intimately. I want them to understand your love for them and to respond to it. I want them to know your ways. I want them to understand how your mind works and and, and, and the way that you want them to live. And I want them to understand their purpose in this world and why they're even here. And then I want them to go out and do that in their own life. Father, I pray for us, for this family, for each family here, for each parent here, that you would give us the courage to engage our children, to teach them the things you so desperately want them to learn and know about you. So that when they leave our homes, Lord, that generation after generation would show your glory. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this family. Lord, we ask that you would be with us and that you would remind us to walk with you today and to walk with each other in unity. We ask for that. In Jesus' name. And everyone say it. Amen. Have a wonderful Father's Day.